wonder if you'd turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to study this morning verses 17 to 21, so it's 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 17 to 21. At the conclusion of my message, we're going to sing another song of worship, and then we're going to have a baptism, okay? So don't run off when I'm done preaching. I know you feel like running away when I'm done preaching, but don't do it today. Uh, we're going to have a baptism at the conclusion, before the service concludes, uh, so we're looking forward to that in, uh, in, well, not long from now, okay? So our text again is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 21. We're continuing our series uh, called Living Life Saved by God. If you're saved by God, and many of you are, you're in a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are trusting in Him as your Savior, you are saved, as the Bible uh, teaches us. Um, the question that First Peter is primarily concerned with is then, how do we live as saved people? What does God want us to do? How do we make our way in this life as His redeemed people? Well, that's what our study is all about. I want to take you back to March the 4th, 1933, the city of Washington, D.C. Franklin D. Roosevelt was the newly elected president of the United States, and he stepped to the podium at the Capitol and addressed the nation at what was a crucial time in history. It was, as my grandmother called it, the Dirty Thirties. It was the time of the Depression, the Great Depression, a terrible economic crisis swept across uh, America, and of course not only America, but certainly there, and the nation, the nation was reeling, and the people were wondering, are we going to make it? How are we going to survive? Is there, is there any light at the end of the tunnel? What they needed in that time, in that season, was encouragement, and I'd suggest to you that on that historic day, Roosevelt delivered. He delivered with uh, what was a rousing speech. And after a few introductory comments, he gave this memorable line. He said, First of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. What a profound statement. Reminding people who are fearful about the future, fearful about how bad things are and how worse they could get, fearful as to whether they, could, uh, whether they would make it to the next year, what they would eat the next week, a country desperate for recovery, in real, in the sense of real danger, he stands up and says, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. In other words, there's a lot of problems that we're facing. But the biggest danger is that we would succumb to our fears, that we'd be paralyzed by our fears, that we would give up hope because of our fear. In other words, he's saying fear is our enemy. That's our real enemy. And indeed... It often is, isn't it? Fear is often a problem for us. There's, there's times that our fears, however rational or irrational they are, hold us back, don't they? Sometimes they have a crippling effect on us. They heighten our anxieties way beyond what they often should be. And they, they often, our fears can make fools out of us, can't they? I mean, just take me for example. I'll have you know, I'm, I'm brave enough to admit this morning that I'm afraid of the dark. I know there's nothing there in the that's you know there's nothing there in the dark that isn't there in the light. But how do you know? Because it's dark. I'm also petrified of heights. I do not like being being up high. I'm also I'm also afraid of failure. So there you go. I'm bearing my soul for you. So if you really want to terrify me, blindfold me on a roof and make fun of me. 
and I'll just hear the slasher music just in my, in my own mind. Oftentimes, fear will make a fool of us and cause us to miss out on opportunities and experiences. Sometimes it leads us to, into sin and unfaithfulness. It holds us back from serving, from moving, holds us back from action. There's a real sense in which fear is often our foe. But sometimes fear is our friend. Think of the times when fear has stopped you from doing something really stupid. Or the, time that, that, the times that fear uh, have compelled you to find shelter in a storm or find safety when you're otherwise, otherwise at risk. Sometimes our fears alert us to present dangers. I remember a number of years ago reading a book. It was not by a Christian, but it was called The Gift of Fear. And basically, the guy was pointing out that, there's, that as human beings, this thing we call fear often can spare us and save us from terrible situations because our fears kick in to cause us to run, sometimes just in the nick of time. So it's true that sometimes fear is our foe, but sometimes it's also our friend. And we find that's actually true in the Bible, too. There's lots of times when God is displeased with his people because they're fearful. They're afraid and they don't obey. They don't step forward in, in faith. They don't, they're not, they don't move to action. They don't trust God. They're, they're afraid. And sometimes fear in the Bible is indeed a, a bad thing. Sometimes it's just flat out a sinful thing. But sometimes fear is an important thing. We're going to see this morning in First Peter that fear is a necessary thing. In fact, there is a kind of fear that's commanded. Namely, the fear of God. Now I say that, and for some of you who've been in church a long time, you're like, it's about time we had a sermon on the fear of God. Amen! But there's some of you, maybe you haven't been in church in a while, or this is new to you, and you think the fear of God. That sounds, that sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? I mean, we're supposed to love God, we're supposed to worship God, we're supposed to be near to God, and we say, yes, yes, yes. But we're also taught to fear God. Let me show you what I mean. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. Look at what Peter says. He says, And if you call on Him, talking about God, and if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ like like that of a lamb without blemish or spot he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Now, just to remind you where Peter's been so far, the first 12 verses of chapter 1, he's reminded us about the greatness of our salvation, particularly the salvation that's coming to us when we get to heaven. That if you are in Jesus, if you're trusting in Jesus today, God has for you a sure and secure inheritance. And it's coming in the end. It's guaranteed. We have a great salvation. 
Then, at verse 13, he starts talking about how then shall we live in light of the fact that we're saved. And you remember, he called us in verse 13, he taught us that we're to live with hopefulness. Hope fully in the grace of God that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He calls us to hopefulness. Then verses 14, 15, and 16, he tells us that we're called to holiness. Set apart unto the Lord, living obediently before him. Now verses 17 to 21, uh, we're called to the fear of God. We're called to live with fear. In fact, I would just put it to you this way. My summary of Peter's main point here is this, that God wants you and I to live our lives with a healthy fear of him. Notice I'm saying a healthy fear of him to help you to see, to differentiate from, from unhealthy fears that otherwise clutter and confuse our lives. God wants us to live our lives with a healthy fear of him. You notice, did you see that in verse 17? He says, the middle of the verse, he says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, we established earlier in our study in First Peter that exile in First Peter is talking about being exiled from heaven that we are there's a sense in which like earth is not our home i know it is our home but it's not our ultimate home our ultimate home is in heaven that's right and so right now we're, we're not home yet and so peter refers to believers as exiles like we're exiles right now out of our home one day there'll be a great homecoming and we won't be exiles anymore but while we are exiles, while we are living life in this world, there's something we're, we must do, and that is we must fear God. We must fear God. You say, what in the world do you mean by fearing God? Well, the NIV translate this, translates this verse with the phrase reverent fear. And I think that's helpful because it's, it's cluing us in that this isn't a kind of terror or avoidance but rather it is a reverence for God. It's an awe for God. It's a, re, it's a kind of respect for God, but, but very heightened respect because he's God. It's, it's an awareness of his greatness. It's having a sense of his awesomeness. It's, it's knowing that he is holy. It's knowing that he is all-powerful. It's knowing that he is righteous in everything. It's, it's the conviction in your heart that God is God. That's what it is to, to fear him. Now, just to be clear, let me just emphasize for you what fearing God does not mean. Fearing God is not some kind of servile fear. It's not, it's not like we, we don't cower before him as though we are afraid that he will destroy us. Because if you're in Jesus, you will never be destroyed. But you will live. Uh, it's not a kind of fear where we avoid him because remember we notice notice at the beginning of our passage verse 17 we're calling on him as who we're calling him on him as as father as father like he, he's a good father i'm getting ahead of myself just stop ross stop getting ahead of yourself so so we we're, we we it's not cowering before him before him it's not avoiding like ooh, just stay out of his sight it's not like that some of you have lived parts of your lives like that where there's somebody you're afraid of and you want to avoid them and you can't wait till you can be away from them. And I'm sorry you went through that. That's a terrible, terrible experience. That's not what we're talking about with the fear of God, though. We're talking about that conviction that He is God. He is good and He is God. That's what we're talking about. Let, let me just sort of uh, cement this for you. We, so we don't mean that we cower from him or avoid him. It, it just got three verses here just to sort of underscore that. First John 4 verse 18 says this. 
It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. So there, John's talking about an an unhealthy fear when you're afraid of God's wrath and judgment, eternal wrath for sin. Well, if you're in Jesus, Jesus took the wrath of God for you. So you, you don't need to fear that now. It's a legitimate fear if you don't have Jesus. But when you have Jesus, you don't need to fear him that way. In fact, you have the love of God in you. You love him because he first loved you. And that love casts out the fear. So you see, so we're not called to be afraid of God like he's a terror to us. Not at all. Isaiah 11 verse 3 is a prophecy about Jesus. Looking ahead 700 years into the future when Jesus would come and talking about him and what he would be like. And it says in Isaiah 11 verse 3, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So what does that tell us about Jesus? Well, it tells us that Jesus understood the fear of God as a delightful thing. Like, like, yes, we may tremble because he is God, but it's a joyful trembling. It's a wondrous trembling. It's, it's mindful of Philippians 2 that tells us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, with a fear of God. Well, why should I do that? Because God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's a joyful trembling that God is at work in me. <sighs> That's freaky. And makes me tremble, not as often as it should. Jesus thought of the fear of God as a delightful thing, as something that we desire. And those of you who know the Lord and you worship Him, you know that some of your sweetest times of fellowship are times in which you have been struck just afresh with the awesomeness of God. And that's, that's not something you want less of, that's something you want more of, because just you're, you're becoming more like Jesus who delighted in the fear of God. Or how about Acts 9, verse 31, that tells us this. In the early church, it says, So the church throughout throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, I love that verse because it puts the fear of the Lord, like God is awesome, God is God. And there's a part of us to be like, we should run and hide. No, no, no. No, because we've got Jesus, so we don't need to run and hide. And we have the Holy Spirit who comforts us, who strengthens us and consoles us. So the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit are together in the same sentence, in the same people. And I'll point out to you, do you see, did you hear what was happening to the church as they feared the Lord and were comforted by the Spirit? The church grew. What does that tell you about church growth? I don't know. I honestly don't remember the last time in any church growth article or book where I saw an emphasis on the fear of God. I don't know. Maybe that's just, you want to go ahead and write that? I'll help you. I'll give you a few verses and I'd like to read that. God wants us to live our lives with a healthy fear of him. So fearing God does not mean I'm terrified of him or avoiding him. It does mean, though, that I revere him. I live my life revering him, living for him, loving him, obeying him. 
Listen to what the Lord told Israel in Deuteronomy 10. He says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep his commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding to you today for your good. So there's this good God giving good commandments that we're to keep, we're to love Him, we're to serve Him, we're to live our lives for Him. That is part of fearing God. Also, uh, living, living in the fear of God is living with a sense of awe and also a sense of humility. Uh, in Isaiah 66, it says, But this is the one, God says, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word again not terrified of but aware that he is god and so if he's speaking it's really really important there's also the fear of god involves having faith in him think of that powerful story in the book of genesis when when abraham was told to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice and he was within a hair's breadth of doing it when he was told to stop and you remember that story, and there was a ram that was provided in place of, of Isaac, and the comment that was made to Abraham from God was, Now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now I know that you fear God. How, how does he, what was the proof of that? Because he trusted God. He believed God. And he reasoned that God knows what he's doing. And perhaps... It's God's plan that he will raise my son from the dead. But whatever it is, I'm going to obey him because I trust him. That's, that's fearing God. Fearing God is knowing, knowing that he is God. And for some of you, the verse you probably had in your mind is Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. In other words, you're just starting to get it when you know God is God. And until you do, you don't get as much as you think you get. That's what fearing God is. Now, too often, we don't fear God. Too often, we don't fear God. And I say that because sometimes we treat God like he's not there. Right? Think of the things that you will do sometimes because nobody's watching. Well, wait a minute. Isn't God watching? I mean, you believe that he is omnipresent, everywhere present, don't you? But see, we don't, sometimes we don't fear God. That's why we do stuff when nobody else is around. But he's around, isn't he? Sometimes we treat God like he's not there. Sometimes we treat God like he's not aware. Like God is just distracted, you know? I'm sure God was watching the Leafs game when that was going on. Yes, and he was weeping. But he had his eye on you too. His eye is everywhere. So we'll sometimes treat people unlovingly, act immorally, behave unfaithfully, and then just carry on like it never happened, as though God was not aware. We often don't fear God by acting like he's not there, like he's not aware, like he's not God. Let me ask you this morning, is God blind? so that he doesn't see you? Is God deaf so that he doesn't hear what you say? Is God forgetful 
so that he can't recall what it is that he told you to do in the first place? If you've answered each of those questions correctly and got three out of three on your theology exam, then let me ask you, why do you treat him like that? Like you can't see, like you can't hear, like you can't remember what he told you. God is God. Sometimes, instead of fearing God, we don't fear God. Sometimes, instead of having a healthy fear of God, we instead have an unhealthy fear of other things. I just picked three here. I picked top three of my list. Maybe you got your list. Number one, the future. An unhealthy fear of the future. The simple word for that is worry. When we're worried about what it is that's going to come or what might not come or what might happen or what might happen or will they show up or will they won't. We worry about all kinds of things that in certain respects is is understandable about money and our jobs and our health and our children and on and on it goes. But we get into an unhealthy fear of the future when this begins to take over and this begins to control us and begins to occupy us. Instead, we're called to fear God. A healthy fear of God supplants an unhealthy fear of the future. When you have a healthy fear of God, you know what he has commanded. And you know that he's commanded you not to worry because in him he's got it. And so I fear him in the sense that I know he is awesome in power. There is nothing to come that anybody could send my way, not even the devil could send my way, that's beyond the power of God. And so in the fear of him, I fear, I fear him in the sense of honoring him, of worshiping him, of extolling him, of choosing to live for him, even in the face of an uncertain future. Because even if it's scary, even if it gets worse, I'd rather be found in the end having obeyed God than to give in to my fears of the future. Sometimes we have an unhealthy fear of death. Hebrews tells us that many are enslaved to the fear of death. We must remind ourselves, Christians, what God has assured to us. He's declared to us good news. And when you think about the fear of God, ask yourself this. Do I dare act as though God has never declared to me good news? Do I dare uh, consider the future and the end of my life as though God is somehow unfaithful? Or will I fear Him in the sense of knowing that He has spoken and He always does what He says He will do? And in the fear of Him, that unhealthy fear of, of death is supplanted by a fear of God. Lord, I tremble because I'm weak and, and I'm weak and fearful of the future, but I, I tremble more at you because you've spoken to me good news, you've given me hope, and you've, you've promised me good things to come, and so I will not dare to accuse you of being unfaithful. You see? See how the fear of God is a good thing in your life? Well, I got the, the third thing I got here, and I'll stop because it, I, I'm bearing too much of my soul here today. But the third thing I have here, and this, maybe this is the biggest for me, maybe it's the biggest for you. Sometimes it's an unhealthy fear of the future, of death, but for me, it's an unhealthy fear of people. More concerned about what people say and what people think than what God thinks, than what He has said. I don't know if you have that disease. I catch it occasionally, if not frequently. And it's something that Peter knew all about. So we fear people when we're, we're way, we are firstly concerned about what people say about me and what people think and how people are going to treat me. But instead we're called to be concerned about what God thinks. 
Now, Peter fell into this problem more than once in his life. I'm thinking especially of an occasion we read about in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2. Basically what had happened is the gospel's going forward and there were Jews who were saved and there was also Gentiles who were saved. And these early believers were, were growing in their understanding of the gospel that in Jesus, Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ, one family. And the, the Jews the, and the Gentiles are together. Whereas before, outside of Christ, before Christ, they'd be separate. The Jews would have nothing to do with the Gentiles. Now here's Peter, a Jew, and he is having supper with some Gentiles until some of his Jewish believing friends show up and all of a sudden Peter feels all embarrassed. <gasps> what will they think about me? I'm eating with Gentiles. Well, Paul says that he called Peter out for this. Peter got up and pretended like he just sort of didn't realize they were Gentiles. I don't know how he explained it to them, but he got up and excused himself. <laughs> Hot dogs. I don't want oh, Not for me. No. I don't know. I'm sure that's not what happened, but I don't know. Sorry. Galatians 2.12, this is what it says. Paul says, For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, I don't know. Anybody who calls themselves the circumcision party sounds scary to me, but <laughs> he's doing the same thing you and I do sometimes. We're all good. We're all happy. We're all until somebody shows up and all of a sudden we're like, what are they going to think of me? wonder what they're going to say. This happens when you're a teenager, doesn't it? It happens when you're a young adult. I'm finding out it actually never really goes away outside of Jesus' help. Peter's legitimately afraid of being ostracized, afraid of how he might be slandered. But Paul says in Christ he's illegitimately afraid because he shouldn't have feared them, he should have feared God more than them. What God has said, he needed to abide by. People can be fearsome, can't they? I mean, when you think about what people can do to you, it's enough to make you never leave your house. People can malign you and mock you. Some people can fire you or demote you. People can hurt you and, oh, they can embarrass you. People can persecute and prosecute you. People can oppose you and oppress you. People can exclude you and reject you. People can destroy your reputation, and they can. They can kill you. But here's what Jesus said. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, namely God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So, so Jesus is like, in the list of people you should be concerned about in terms of their opinion you should erase everybody else's name and just put God's name there because it's his opinion that matters. And isn't that true? And loved ones, isn't there freedom in that? If by God's spirit, you and I could live our lives not for an audience of many, not for all the haters on social media or the haters at your Christmas dinner coming up, wherever that is, right? But isn't there an awesome freedom if somehow with God's help, and he can help us with God's help, if we could just live our lives for an audience of one? There's an incredible freedom in that. But there's also an incredible trembling in that. Because that one is God, right? But that's the fear of the Lord. So you can see the main point. Peter's like, listen, you've got to conduct yourself with fear, the fear of God. 
throughout your time of exile, throughout your time in this world, as you and I are marching toward heaven and because of Jesus we are, we're to conduct ourselves with fear. Now that's, that's the main point. Now what's interesting about this passage is that Peter surrounds it with reasons why we should fear God. And he names here, what I, at least I detect, three reasons why it is that we should give, that we should fear God. Three reasons for fearing God in this life. The first reason is because of who he is, because of who God is. And who is he? Notice the beginning of verse 17. We call on him as Father. God is your Father. Now that's a wonderful, comforting thing, rightly so. But it's also something that can make us tremble because like a good father, he disciplines his children. And so one of the things that we, we do as Christians when we fear God, it's, you might remember, for those of you, many of you were blessed with a good mother, a good father. And if you think back that if you had a good, they weren't perfect, but they were a good parent. And you think back and think about the ways in which you feared your parents. There were certain things that you wouldn't do, or if you did do, you'd say, pray some unsanctified prayers that you never got caught. Now, why is that? Because they were unreasonable tyrants? No, because they cared about you and they wanted the best for you. They wanted you to grow up to be a good person, respecting others and caring for others and, and doing the right thing. They're doing their best to raise you. And so there's some things you didn't do because, because you're, I don't want to get in trouble. And I do think there's a legitimate part of that in the Christian life. You see, you sure about that? Yeah, Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews 12 says about God that he disciplines us for our good. Hebrews 12 verse 10, he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, doesn't it? rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Listen, your father loves you. He loves you. And because he loves you, he wants the best for you. And the best for you is for you to share in his holiness, to live for him. In his presence is fullness of joy. He wants you to have full joy. And he knows that far from him, when you run from him, when you rebel from him, you're walking into misery. And so graciously, he brings us back. But the bringing back is sometimes painful. This is illustrated. I heard I heard uh, somebody else illustrate this this week, and I thought that's just that's just a great picture. Plus, it involves a dog, and I love dogs. The illustration. So this didn't happen to me, but this the story was told of of this pastor of a church who went to visit one of his church members, and he had with him his little boy, six years old. And they went to the door and knocked on the door. And when the owner of the home opened the door, there was the owner, and there was a gigantic dog. And he said, that dog met my son nose to nose. Like face, like a big dog. And uh, everything seemed calm and friendly. And then he realized, oh, I forgot something in the car. And turned to his son and he said, will you run back to the car and grab that thing I forgot in the car? So the little boy turns and starts running to the car. Well, as soon as he turns and runs, the dog begins to lumber at the boy, growling. <clears throat> And the owner says, oh, 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 um, maybe, maybe you don't want to run. He doesn't like it when people run away from him. Maybe you just walk and he'll walk beside you. You can even put your arm over him, but he, he doesn't like it when people run away from him. And the person telling the story says, when he said that, I thought to myself, 
I know somebody else who's like that too. God doesn't like it when you run away from Him. And He may bite you. But He will bite you out of love and to discipline you so that you will walk in the safety and security and joy of His presence. Are you okay with a God like that? With the God of the Bible who might bite you in the behind to spare you a fate worse than death? This is our God. He is, as we sing, right, the Chris Tomlin song, He's a good father, right? He's a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who, it's, you're a good, good father, right? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. Now we sing that, but you know what fathering involves, right? I'm loved by you. That's why sometimes he disciplines us. Because he loves us. And he wants the best for us. We should fear him because of that. Like a good father because of who he is he's a good father secondly peter tells us we should fear god not only because of who he is but also because of what he does did you notice in the beginning of first 17 after he talks about god being our father what he says about what god does he says and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds conduct yourself in fear what does god do he judges impartially. Now, for a believer in Jesus Christ, there's two kinds of judgment. There's the judgment of discipline that Peter actually will talk about later. First Peter 4 and 17, he talks about judgment beginning in the household of God. Uh, talking about God's discipline that I've just talked about in terms of his fatherhood. But there's another kind of judgment for believers that comes in the end. It's a judgment not for sin, although there are those who will be judged for sin, but for a believer, your sins are forgiven. The judgment coming for believers at the return of Christ is a judgment of rewards where the Lord will judge us according to what we have done, not on the basis of what we've done. We're judged on the basis of Jesus, which we stand righteous. Amen. But in terms of rewards, well, that's, that's something the Bible talks about in different places. For example, Paul refers to it in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. He says there that in that judgment, God will test what sort of work we have done. A kind of judgment. And he says there's some, there's, he said every believer will be saved, but some will be saved, he says, but only as through fire. Now I just think whatever that means, that moves me to godliness. <laughs> I, I don't want to have singed hair, and not on that, if you know what I mean. Not that they'd be singeing, but I don't want to miss out on the rewards that God has for me. And lest I be boastful or so sure of myself, Paul says of himself, he says, I don't even presume to judge myself. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, he says that God will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Now, let me tell you, that gave me a moment to pause and pray this week. God will disclose the purposes of the heart. What are the purposes of my heart? and being a parent, and being a pastor. I dare say, almost always, there's mixed purposes in there, because my heart's fallen and sinful. But I tell you, I best not go through life 
in fakery. Because one day there's going to be a slideshow in the throne room of heaven. And it's all going to be there. And it'll all be true. And Paul says, he will disclose the purposes of heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now that's an awesome verse because it doesn't say condemnation from God. Commendation from God. His reward from God. That'll be on the basis of what I've done. Now when you and I hear these words and there's a kind of sobriety comes into us where we're like, I really want to live for the Lord. That's the fear of God. Not afraid of Him, but I know that He is God. So we should fear God because of who He is. He's our Father because of what He does. He judges impartially. Impartially, so it's not like... So, so don't go through life thinking that you're a special case. Okay? You are special. I'm special. But there's no special case. There's no exception. Like this applies to everybody else, but somehow, some way, not to me. He's impartial. We should fear Him because of what He does. Finally... We should fear God because of how he saves. How he saves. Look again at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. In other words, going nowhere. Not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I was ransomed. I was liberated. I was set free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. I was set free from that. We are free indeed, like we sang this morning, because of Jesus. God purchased our freedom from those things. And He didn't purchase it with money or gold or chains or jewelry. God was not at some spiritual pawn shop bargaining for our souls. No, He sent His Son, His precious Son, God the Son, came into the world and died for my freedom with the precious blood of Christ. Think of Peter, a witness to the cross, writing about the precious blood of Jesus poured out to ransom me. We should fear God because of how He saves us. God has paid an enormous price for our salvation. He also tells us He planned it in eternity past. He said He was foreknown, this Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. God has planned in eternity past and has provided in history for your salvation, that your faith can be in Him, that you can know Him. So you and I would do wise to fear God and not treat this like garbage. Think of it this way. In our previous ministry setting, one day there was a missionary friend of ours who brought with him a young man who was, I think, 18 years old at the time. And that young man was considering a future in missions. And he was hoping that somehow, some way, he could find a way to go to Bible college to get trained to be able to be an effective missionary. And at the end of that service, one of the members of our church came up to me and asked me for a private conversation. And we went into a room and he got very close to me and he says, I want to see to it that that young man goes to Bible college. I said, well, that's, that's great. He says, no, I'm going to see to it. And he and his wife and another person in the church got together and did a sanctified business meeting in which they fully funded his two years of Bible college 
paying for, if I remember right, paying for all of his tuition, his books, his accommodations. All the kids got to do is show up, work hard, pray hard, and go. He was a worthy recipient. He's a good man who loves the Lord and is still living for the Lord today. But imagine if that student, having been given a free ride, these people are sacrificially giving so he can be educated. Imagine if he shows up at Bible college and he decides, I'm going to have a party. I'm going to live it up like I'm a true Canadian here. I'm going to drink Canadian beer. I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to party it up. I'm going to smoke Canadian cannabis, although it wasn't legal at the time. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't need books. I'm not going to study. Right? Studying's for losers. I'm just going to, imagine if you just sort of lived it up and partied and just, just went through the motions. Imagine what kind of a grievous offense. It's bad enough when a person does that with their own money and their own time and their own life. But imagine somebody else paying the way if he had behaved that way and didn't study and didn't work and didn't take that seriously. It'd be, an, it'd be, it'd be humiliating. It'd be awful, wouldn't it? That's what Peter is cautioning you and I against doing with the Lord Jesus. Jesus shed his blood for us so that we could live for him. Living in the fear of God is recognizing what God has done to save us. May we never thumb our nose at him or live as though our freedom didn't cost something so precious. Loved ones, will you today ask the Lord to give to you a fresh sense of the fear of God? Not a terror, not a hiding from, the, from God kind of fear, but that heart conviction that He is God and He is precious and He is worthy. Will you pray for that? And may I also just address those who are here in the room today who maybe are new to this. And you are, we might say, edging closer to coming to know this God. He is a great and awesome God. And He has moved heaven and earth to make a way for you to know Him and to enjoy Him forever. Won't you come? Won't you come to Him and know Him and be enthralled by Him now and forever? I'm going to pray and then we're going to baptize you. Okay? Let's pray.